Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome to How To Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. In each episode, your host, Kate Campbell, brings in a variety of guests to explore everything from buying shares to starting your own business, all with the aim of kickstarting your personal finance journey. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. Todd, thank you so much for joining me on the How To Money podcast today. Thanks for having me on the show, Kate. Pleasure to be here. Now, we're talking about something that I know my listeners find very interesting, and that's the topic of buying your first home. And heading into the new year, there's lots to think about. There's different government grants available. There's different tips and tricks coming out of COVID and hopefully our last lockdown, especially here in Melbourne. And so, Todd, I thought it'd be a great conversation today to have with you as a property expert, everything our listeners need to know about property heading into 2022. Heading into 2022, I'd love to say that it's going to be totally different. And whilst there, I think, are going to be a few changes, a lot of the fundamentals are still going to remain the same, which I'm sure we're going to cover off in, in the chat today. But but really, I think what a lot of the experts that I actually speak with are saying that 2022 is potentially going to look like is instead of it being this crazy kind of like, I think even the slowest growth areas still grew by something like 15%, 12%. The highest growth areas grew by something like 35%, which is just insanity in one year. They're now predicting that 2022 is still going to be growth, but it's probably going to be more in the single, maybe just pushing into the double digit growth, which kind of means realistically less competition. So 2022, and again, this is all just forecasting. No one knows exactly. There's no crystal ball, but hopefully it should be a little bit simpler. So for anyone that's listening, there's maybe started shopping for a property in July and they're just disheartened. They're like totally over the process don't lose faith because 2022 really could be the year that it gets a bit simpler and you get into where you want to go. And I know a lot of people over the last two years have thought about buying their own home because they've gone, I'm kind of sick of renting. I want a balcony or a backyard if we ever go into lockdown again. And But looking at the prices, just running away from them, it's been quite challenging for a lot of young people. I'm not sure if you've experienced that from your side. Definitely. And, and that's what I've actually been like saying with a lot of clients as well, because I find that if, if you're looking at upsizing, downsizing, whatever it is, you're already in the market. It's like it might move a bit and it's like, oh, well, now actually we can't quite get what we wanted or we have to change our location a little bit, but you can still make it pretty much happen. The people that I've really felt for in this, and especially like at the very start of 2021 in, in Adelaide, like where I operate personally, $300,000 used to be able to get you something in an entry-level suburb. That, that was like, yep, yeah, you can buy a three-bed, one-bath, one-bath, that's an odd accent, <laughs> three-bed, one-bath <laughs> house in an entry-level, like sort of 25Ks away from the city, okay? Now that's not even getting you a two-bedroom unit. And, and that's the thing that 
I do feel for, for so many people that maybe got their pre-approvals for 300, 350, whatever it is, and they literally can't buy a house anymore. It's just that that's gone. So you, you've got to then start changing the, the way that you're actually approaching it to either save more money, get more deposit behind you, see if it's possible to actually increase your income, which for some people is easier said than done, but others, it, it's, it's a doable thing. But, but really, it's, it's a big changing landscape this uh, past year. Yeah. And changing your expectations. If you thought, if you were looking five years ago and thinking I could get this house for this amount of money and now suddenly you can maybe only get a one bedroom apartment, it's quite hard to adjust your expectations with that, isn't it? Definitely. And it's one of the things I talk about in the book. I've got, it's the simplest thing. And and the only reason I put it in there is because I did this with, with so many people. It's just three columns. It's kind of like a pros and cons list, but I call it the wants, needs and wants list. And you can do this yourself as well. You, you don't need the book to do it. Just literally make three different columns and, and write wants, needs, and wants. And if you actually start by writing down everything you really want in a property, that really helps just, first of all, to get you excited on the search again, especially if you're a little bit deflated. But then write down everything that you really need because that's the list that's really going to help you hone in on what's actually important because I think we're especially... The social media society that we live in now, it's so easy to get caught up in confusing a, a want for a need. But when you start putting everything black and white in front of you and going, actually, do I really need X, Y, Z? Or like, do I really need to, to really be in the city? Maybe I could just be like 4Ks out of the city and that could actually still work for me and have a great lifestyle. But then most importantly is, is the won'ts column. Because this is where I see a lot of people make a mistake and we end up going back there a year, two years later and they go, we just, we, we shouldn't have bought it. We have to sell now, which is great for sales agents. They'll, they'll love you. But, but as far as like the, the changeover cost for you, you're looking at tens of thousands of dollars in like lost stamp duty, sales costs and, and next stamp duty buying the next place. It's just, it doesn't really make sense. So if you can have a, a really, really clear picture on what you won't put up with, like I, I'm in mile end here, like I'm near a flight path. I love planes. I'm totally fine with this. Like, and, and I lived in the city for 10 years. Like I don't care about noise, but some people, it's just absolute deal breaker. So make sure you know where the deal breakers are and the difference between your wants and needs. And I think that really, really helps when you're on the search. It's so important to focus on what you really want, not just what you're seeing your friends and family do on Instagram or social media. And I think that's the challenge heading into this summer season when you're catching up with everyone, maybe for the first time, is you kind of get into that comparison habit, don't you? Definitely. As, was it, I forget who did it now. It was one of the, the president's wives. Was it comparison is the thief of joy? Is that the, I'm totally butchering that quote. But it's I've like, heard the quote. I don't yeah. know who it was either. <laughs> I, I want to say it was um, Teddy Roosevelt's wife, but I could be completely wrong. But anyway, it's, it's the, the, no matter who said it, it's totally true. If you keep comparing yourself to it, and the other thing as well is you're comparing yourself to a moment. But I don't know if you've ever actually pulled open your own Instagram feed, Kate, but have you ever looked at it and started getting jealous of yourself? And you're like, maybe you're just having a day where you're not feeling the best. And you're like, well, this life looks amazing. And it's like, this is my life. <laughs> yeah, the, the travel pictures from five years ago, pre-COVID. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do miss that part of life. But um, yeah, I guess it's that reminder to live in the moment as well. And uh enjoy it while you've got it. Definitely. Yeah. And heading into 2022, if listeners are thinking of buying their first home or maybe their first investment property, what else would you recommend sort of keeping in mind or doing a bit more to learn about certain areas? 
Areas are one thing. If, if you can really understand what things are actually selling for, and and I really want to emphasize selling for, not what their asking price is, because their asking price can be totally different. And, and 18 months ago, this conversation was slightly different. A lot of the time, let's say their asking price was 700000 and that actually sell for 656 or whatever it was. Now it's kind of like the opposite. It's like the asking price is 700000 but they actually sold for eight ninety two, and you're like, oh, wow, that's a big difference. Because if, if you can really get that data, then it's going to help you in a few ways. One, it's going to help you make sure that you're not barking up the wrong tree and you're not actually spending the next two months in a suburb because all of the, the prices on realestate.com say they're in your budget, but really everything's just selling way out of it. And the other thing it's going to help you with is if you do start to negotiate with an agent and then they start to compare different properties, because this is, this is what we'll do as, as agents, make no mistake, the sales agent is not on your side. Okay, they, they want to give you a good service and this is something that you always want to do, but like the vendor pays us money to get the most we can for them, not for the buyer. So when you're being thrown a comparison sale of, oh, yeah, but thank you very much for your offer of uh, 600, whatever it is, but around the corner, I mean, that sold for, for 680. Like, so as you can see, I mean, that's pretty comparable. Maybe that's not actually comparable. And if you know that, if you can look at it and go, yeah, well, thanks, Todd. I can see that how you could think that's kind of comparable, but isn't that actually a, a blah, 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 and that had a swimming pool as well, and that wasn't on the main road, where this one's backing onto the main road. Just that little bit of extra knowledge of understanding what properties are selling for can just make a huge difference in, in what you're actually going to get moving forward. But I, I think that's probably one of the, the big ones. And the other one is make relationships with agents. Like the amount of off-market sales we're doing right now is huge. It's You used to sell one or two a year off-market because you just kind of connect the dots and it would come together. Whereas now there's that many leftover buyers, you can literally list a property and then just go through your, your callback sheets, which are uh, the sheets of everyone that came through and open, and say, hi, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Like I've actually just listed 123 Fake Street, which, by the way, I actually found in America the other day. I just thought that was a yeah, funny side note. I never thought that address actually existed. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, just the, the generic John Smith of yeah. real estate addresses. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we've got 123 Fake Street uh, just been listed. Uh, we know you missed out on blah, 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 the other property. If you'd be interested, we're having a, an off-market inspection come along. And and that actually works really well. But that only happens a lot of the time if you've, you've built that relationship with the agent, if you actually come to mind, because sometimes it's not even an off-market open. Sometimes it is just picking up the phone call and going, Greg, I know you've missed out several times. Mate, I've just listed one. This is perfect for you. It's in budget. It's exactly what you want. And and Greg or Jane or whoever it is gets the opportunity first. So it's it can be really powerful for you as the buyer to build those relationships. Yeah. And if you're starting from scratch and you know no real estate agents and it's a whole new industry for you, would you just recommend going to some opens and just talking to them? Definitely. But be careful about what you're saying. Okay, so don't say nothing. And this is the delicate balance. It's this little dance. And and like in the book, I compare it to, it's kind of like if you think of it as dating, I like to strip it back to just stuff that we can kind of all relate to. I think everyone has been on a good date and a bad date. And, and if you look at the, I suppose the dialogue that actually takes place, if you were to go on this date and you just oh my God, this person walks in the room and they're the best looking, they're the most intelligent, they're most engaging. And you're like, oh, I love this. I love this. Oh, why don't we do this? And oh, do you want to keep my house? And if you're moving too fast, it's like, slow down. This is too much too soon. 
And some people do that with agents. They'll walk into a house and they'll just say everything that they love about it. And what they're doing is they're actually giving the agents so much ammunition as to what they can use against them in an open, so not an open inspection, from the open inspection in a negotiation. So make sure that you, you show that you're keen because, again, bringing it back to the dating analogy, if you were to just sit there like a, a cold sack going, oh, yeah, you don't go on another date with that person either because that's not fun or interesting. You need to know as an agent, if someone puts an offer in, in front of you, that when you sit down with the vendors, and the, the conversation at the kitchen table with an agent and the vendor has so much more value to it than people see. And the reason is because they don't see it. But mm-hmm. when, when you're putting a few offers side by side that might be pretty similar and in some cases identical, if you've got one that was just completely cold fish, was like, yeah, no, nah, I don't, don't care. It's, yeah, if I get it, I get it. And you get someone else that's like, yeah, no, this, this is really what we're looking for. This, like, but there's other properties we're looking at. But this one, like it, it ticks the boxes for X, Y, Z reasons. The difference there is when we're sitting with a, a vendor is, well, these people, you know what, they might actually be a little bit shaky. They, they, they liked it, but they just seemed like if they get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. So, and the finance side of things, like maybe they're, they're not actually going to follow through with the rest of it. However, these people, these people really wanted the home. They, you can see that it's something that they really wanted. Now, that conversation is valuable because then it can be the difference between having your offer chosen and not, but it's just that direct balance between being crazy keen and and being like complete wet fish and and not showing anything. So you want to find that. I don't really know if I've answered the question there or if I've just spoken in several different analogies that don't tie together. <laughs> no, it's good. It's finding that delicate balance and not telling them like your highest price straight away. Like if you've only got 700000 to spend, they're not telling them. Maybe saying six hundred. is that it? Kind of. So the price isn't um, isn't quite as important, for me at least, because yeah. if like if, even if you're approved for $10 million, Kate, and you're coming to one of my opens that let's say is a million dollars, that doesn't turn that into a $10 million property just because you have access to $10 million. But the thing that I would use against you, and this sounds horrible, but like I said, we get paid by the vendor to, to get the best price is if you told me that your friends down the road, uh, they, they live there and you've been best friends since you were eight years old and living next to them would just be amazing. And you know what, Todd? We haven't found anything nearby here that's even like remotely like what we're looking for. I'm going to gently remind you of all of this back to you when you start telling me how much you're not, you don't care anymore. And I thought, I know you do though. And I know you do care about this because Jennifer yep. lives around the corner. Those are the things that you don't want to tell or like tight timeframes. The most common one is we're living with the in-laws and I need wow. to get out. I'm so sick of it. <laughs> I, I know a few friends that have been like desperate to get out of that situation. Yeah. And, and you can say, oh, yeah, look, we're living with the in-laws. That's not too bad. Another month, another six months, whatever it takes. In the back of your mind, you might be thinking, I've got to bloody kill them. This is terrible. But <laughs> <laughs> it don't, don't, don't say that because it will be used against you. Yeah. Well, that's really good to keep in mind because you don't think about all those tricks that they might be using against you and sort of keeping some of the cards close to your chest. You don't need to tell them everything. Correct. Yeah. Awesome. And if listeners are thinking about buying a property next year, do you have any sort of things that would indicate that they're sort of like ready, they've done everything they need to do to learn about buying property, they're emotionally ready for this big transaction? So if I start backwards and start with emotionally, I don't know if anyone's ever emotionally ready. I think it's the benefit of hindsight that will give you confidence with like property number two, should you ever buy property number two. But I don't, it's, it's like any first. You, you don't really know like, yes, I'm 100% ready until you start doing it. 
So I think if you've got the key fundamentals in place, which really for property buying is making sure your finance is approved. And if you're going to be bidding auction, because let's face it, I mean, Melbourne and Sydney, they're predominantly, especially Melbourne, it's, it's such an auction-based state. You, you need to know that you've actually got auction-ready finance. So don't do one of those like crappy calculators like that's just, now oh, here we go, you can borrow 700000 or whatever it is, but it hasn't asked you for pay slips. It hasn't asked you if you've got credit cards. Like That means nothing. You need to get proper auction-ready finance. And, and not just for the auction side, but also just for when you're putting forward offers. Something that a lot of people aren't talking about right now is that if, let's say I've got 10 offers on a property, if I've got three of them that don't even have their finance approved yet, but they tell me how much they love it and everything else is ticked, the hard truth of that is their offer's not even been looked at because there's another seven over here that are all actually ready to go, not just wanting to be ready to go. So make sure you've got that in order. Sit down with a good broker and, and I say broker purposely as well, because even if you've got a friend in the bank, like totally talk with them because maybe the best deal is with the bank that they're with, but maybe the best deal is actually at one that's totally different. And a bank will never tell you that. Like you, you won't sit down at, um, I won't name one, but just any, let's say the big four. And they're like, you know what? Actually, you should probably go down the road. That's a totally better fit for you. But yeah. they're not going to stay in business very long if they do that. But that's literally a broker's job is to say like, this is actually the, the institution that's going to give you the, the best rate, the best terms. And it's also about how you take your money, oh, no, I hate taking money, how you actually bring your money in. Because self-employed, some banks just won't even touch it. And I remember going from one lender to another when I was buying another investment property, literally tripled the amount that I could borrow, like tripled. It was just, it was phenomenal. And, and that kind of stuff can just be a complete game changer for you. So it's yeah, really important to speak with a broker first. As far as the rest of it, having it in order, know your suburb, know where you want to actually buy, know the sales prices, not the, the asking price, but the actual what it's sold for prices. And if you're wondering how to get that as well, make a, a few relationships with some agents. So like go onto realestate.com okay, and, and type in wherever you want to buy. Let, let's just say you want to buy in South Bank okay, but, and have a look who's selling the most in South Bank. You're going to have a list in uh, agents when you go onto realestate.com and there'll be 50 agents, 100 agents, whatever it is. Just pick the top two, top five, top 10, whatever you want to do and start building a bit of a relationship with them. Just give them a call. This is literally what we get paid to do is to talk to buyers and sellers. So it's our job. Don't ever feel bad about doing it. Yeah. Ask them for a sales history report. Say, do you mind actually just giving me everything that's sold in South Bank over the past three months, all of the two-bed, one-bath apartments? Maybe that's what you're looking for. And it'll give you a really good uh, snapshot. Actually, and the other important thing as well, ask them to order it from bottom end to top end because that will really give you a clear indication of the bottom and top in the market instead of it just kind of yeah, spread over everything. And all the, all the advice I've heard from property experts over the last few years is ask questions, whether it's talking asking questions to the mortgage broker or the real estate agent or talking to the local council or the body corporate. And I think sometimes we can be a bit sort of intimidated of asking these questions because we feel like everyone's got this process figured out and there's all these experts, but it's really the, the main way we can find out this really important information. Definitely. And like, no one's going to laugh at you. And if they do, they're an idiot and you don't want to deal with them. Like you, you're going to do this more than likely two, three, maybe four times in your life, like on average, whereas a, a sales agent or a buyer's agent, if you use a buyer's agent, literally does this every day. It, it'd be the equivalent of going in for something like, I don't know, something medical, like financially, this is probably like the medical equivalent. If uh, I know obviously there's a very big social standing between real estate agents and doctors, but, but as far as 
what it can actually mean for your life long term, it's a, it's a huge deal. And if you were to sit down with a doctor and ask a question, they're like, oh, laughing at you, you'd go to another doctor. Yeah. So it's, it's the same kind of thing. If someone can't answer your questions, well, they're probably not the person you want to deal with. Yeah. And if you're thinking about your property buying timeframe and planning ahead, because I know it could take many, many years to save for a deposit, how do you start to formulate a plan for buying your first home in terms of like timeframe? Timeframe is a super personal one because it depends on the age that you're at and it also depends on on your savings because let's say you're ready to go. Let's say you're, you're in your early 20s and you've just been a super diligent saver. You, you got your first job at KFC at 14. You've been putting away your $50 a week, which turned into $100 a week, which turned into 200 and You've snowballed this like really nice chunk of savings. Well, then it comes down to when you actually want to purchase. Don't wait for the market because I, I'm such a firm believer in it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. The, the amount of people that are talking about a crash, and, and maybe it will come. This is the whole thing, is we genuinely don't know. I read an article the other day that was shared on a property investment forum. The headline was literally, there will be blood on the street, 50% drop in um, house prices, Melbourne and Sydney. Now, the article was dated 2019. Like, look at what happened from 2019 to now in 2021. That person was obviously incorrect, but that was their opinion at the time. So, now, if you had have read that and taken that, taken that as gospel, then you, you would have locked yourself out of the market potentially. So if it really comes down to when you're ready because maybe the market might dip, but as long as you're in a position where that's okay, you don't need to sell tomorrow because that's the only time you've really lost it is if you need to buy and sell within six months and the market drops, yeah, you've lost money and, and potentially a significant amount. But if you're going to live there for the next five or 10 years, the timing's really coming back to when you're actually ready financially. Yeah, and I guess the other thing that people can go wrong is buying in a, a suburb that ends up like one of those mining towns that ends up kind of not actually going anywhere. And some of the other experts I heard was saying like that first home you buy is like the most important decision you make. And if you get that wrong, sometimes you can't recover from that. Very much. And that's the only thing I'd probably disagree with them is when they say you can't recover. I think everything's unless you just went all in and spent like $2 million in Port Hedland back in like 2009, then yeah, you're probably going to really struggle to recover there. But on, on the flip side, I think it's it's really important to make sure you're doing it. Actually, how do I explain this properly? If you kind of break it into two different facets of, is, is it just for me? And is do I actually want to buy a borrow, borrow, build a portfolio that's going to grow and then maybe be part of my superannuation? Or is is this just home and that's it? Because if it's just home and that's it, do what makes you happy. It's as simple as that because it's not about making money. But if, if it is actually about making money, like my own story with this, I, I bought an apartment in the city and I was 21 years old and it was I, I fantasized. I literally used to pretend to walk into the building when I was like 18 years old. We'd go out to the casino and I'd be like, see you guys, I'm going home. And that, that was my little way of like, you know, self, uh, what's it called, like the visualization. And and it came true. And I just thought I was king of the world. It was amazing. But as far as the actual investment was concerned, it was terrible because I, I paid 281000 for it. And I had a, a mate that bought for a similar price, but in a, a suburb that was going through gentrification, which in a nutshell means going from kind of like a, an average place to live to a more desirable place to live. And um, within two years, his property almost doubled, or I think mine went up about 10 grand. 
He then knocked it over and built two. Within the space of three years, he then owned one three-bed, two-bath house outright and had the other one just sitting there. And this, we're both in our early 20s. And I'm like, I think Dale did something I should have done. And it was, <laughs> it took me a while to realize that. But then it, it was a long time. There's, there's a lot more to my sort of backstory, which we won't go into today. But I, I then kind of woke up to it in my late 20s, early 30s. And I referred to them as my sacrifice years because I just went, this isn't how it needs to be done. And I actually moved back in with my family because I thought, I had a bit of money behind me that, that I'd, I'd got, but really it was just getting spent on rubbish. I, I wasn't putting it where it needed to go. I heard this wonderful quote actually from Jimmy Carr the other day, which I'm going to paraphrase slightly just for swearing. That there's nothing you can buy at the mall today that you're going to give a crap about in five years. Mm. And it's totally true. And so I started building my own portfolio and built that from actually a regional development. So there's a house that got trucked in and they, they, ran out of uh, money to actually do all of the, the services. And I paid $62,500 for it. And now by focusing and concentrating on what I wanted, I've now built that portfolio in, in four years from $62,500 to $1.7 million. And it's, it's just through actually paying attention to it and doing the right things. But circling back to an original point, my first purchase was a bad one, but it, wasn't, it didn't actually send me out of the game because... I then took charge. I, I took sacrifices. I, I stopped going out. I started saving all my money. I started putting it all into property. So it, it can only take you out of the game for good if you're not willing to actually put in the hard yards and, and sacrifice a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's sort of not giving up when you realized, oh, maybe I didn't make the most optimal first purchase, but I'm going to learn and move on from that. And you also, I want to touch on the other point you raised of like sort of differentiating between your dream home that you want to live in as like your primary residence and a maybe a house of investment grade property that you're just planning to rent or maybe keep in your portfolio long term. Are you able to talk a little bit about the differences between the two? Yeah, definitely. So what you want is just what you want. That one's an easy one, period, done. Yeah. (laughs) As far as what you actually want, if you want it to make money, then there's lots of different strategies on how to make money in property. So I can talk to what, what I do because that's what I understand like the back of my hand. I'll always look for something I can add value to. So, and that doesn't have to be a huge knocking down walls, building on another half of the house. My very first renovation, actually, no, it was my second renovation. I spent $9,000. It, it, was, it was pretty cheap. And I, I basically just bought a house for, it was again, regional for $110,000 and then spent nine on it, got it revowed for one hundred and sixty-five. dollars which was enough to then pull out the equity to go into number three. And, and that for me worked really well. But what I personally look for is ability to add value and now a location that's going to do well long-term. I didn't originally just because I didn't have money. I was earning 38 grand a year. So I just needed to buy wherever I could to actually get in. But the other thing I personally look for is cash flow. And what I mean by that is not only do the, does the, the income coming in from the rent cover all the expenses, there's a surplus on top of that as well. So like my portfolio is all positively geared. And I just think to me, that makes so much sense. But like I interview people that have done smashingly well from negatively geared portfolios. And and some people, I know one gentleman in particular, his portfolio is literally negatively geared by hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. But he, I think he made something like $3 million in equity. So he doesn't care. He looks at that and thinks, oh, it doesn't really matter. 
So it's it always comes back to what you want specifically. So I'm, I feel like I'm kind of answering this. I'm not because it, it does come back to your strategy and your personal circumstances, your your risk appetite, and what you really want to achieve. But the the general gist of it, being able to add value, uh, a suburb that actually has potential for growth and scarcity. Like if you're going to buy referencing back to South Bank and you're going to buy it in one of the apartment towers there, beautiful place to live. Like it's it's awesome. There's no scarcity there though. There, there's thousands of apartments going up constantly. You're going to be in constant competition with with all of these other newer builds, which are going to offer better facilities. Like my mate lives in a building with a rock climbing wall treadmill. Like how cool is that? <laughs> and try and compete with that if you bought in a building that's 10 years old that just has a swimming pool and a spa. It's, it's going to be really tricky. So if you can buy something that has scarcity, then that's a really big factor, or one of the really big factors moving forward for, for some good investment grade stock. And on the topic of scarcity, I know the city of Melbourne has so many brand new apartments that haven't been sold that they're running this sort of incentive for first home buyers just to buy these apartments in Docklands and South Bank. And I guess that's a a good indication there's a lot available in that area. Yeah, heaps. And and again, if it's what you want, that's it, period. It's what you want. It's not about the investment. And and if you were just going to rent it your entire life anyway, then that, that isn't a bad investment. But if you want to grow a portfolio, that's going to make it hard for you. Absolutely. And I know we talked about some of the experts involved with the, the home buying process, being like mortgage brokers and real estate agents. But I know you wanted to touch a few a bit on some of the grants available for first home buyers that we should be knowing about. Yeah. And I just think it's really important that people check out what you're actually able to get because every state is so different. And especially now that we're so connected. And like you open up your newsfeed and, and you've got friends in every different state. It can be really confusing. Like ACT right now doesn't actually even have a first-time buyer's grant, but there's discounts with the stamp duty. And like it, it, the difference between the top end and the bottom end, I think, uh, what is it? Tassie, I'm pretty sure, is the most generous. Has something like, I've got the book right here, actually. Has something like $20,000 for your, your first-time buyer's grant. Like that's massive. But you're looking in Queensland, you're looking at more like around $15,000. But the reason I say to check it out is because some states, like South Australia, is very clear cut. You're at your building or you don't get it. That's it. And but there's some states where if you've actually bought a property in, in the early noughties, let's say, so maybe if you're more of an older listener in your, your 30s, 40s, and, and you think, oh, well, I can't get it now. It's it's all over for me. But it depends on if you actually lived in that property in some states. You might have bought it and and then maybe broken up with an ex and gone, now we're selling it now. And it might actually still be applicable for you to get the first home buyer's grant now. So it's really just about talking with your broker. And this is where it comes back to like talk with the broker. I can't emphasize that enough. Talk with the broker, please, because they will be the ones that go, no, you can't get it. Or actually, yeah, you are totally eligible for that. And there's potentially an extra $20,000 about to hit your bank account. So make sure you ask the questions around it. And it's so state-specific, some of these schemes. So you really need to talk to someone in your state that knows the market really well and has fully understand all of the different schemes available. Definitely. Well, like the, the Victorian government's um, just put up, brought in a, a scheme not long ago around, a, what was this? Now, I'm, I'm not actually au fait with this one. Or, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it's something around the Victorian government actually owning, I think it's 25% of your property, and, and they will actually kick in all of this deposit and, and basically, you need to pay them back over a 10-year period or I need to find the actual name of this, but I just heard about this recently, like literally a couple of weeks ago, hence why I'm very vague on it right now. 
but, but this is what I mean by it, it's only just come in. So this this is a, a new scheme, but if you don't ask, you, you you don't know about it. And that could be the difference between between you renting for another two years and actually purchasing something maybe in, in the next two to three weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And it comes back to doing your research and even looking at your state government's website as well and talking to people to make sure you know. And before we finish up, Todd, are you able to share any other tips that you have for listeners thinking about buying their home in 2022? I feel like we've covered so much, but really just get out there and, and look at it. Like look at property, go to opens, start getting comfortable with something that is naturally going to feel uncomfortable. You're never going to be 100% with it, but you can get yourself to, to 70, 80% of that comfort level. And the best way to do that is to go to opens, to, to talk to agents. Make sure you know they're not your friends. They're, they can be friendly, but they're not your friend. But but make sure you're actually getting out there and experiencing it. Because I think it's it's those first steps of actually turning though that start line into reality that will actually get you to the reality of the finish line. Absolutely. And I know you have a book to help listeners with this process. If you wanted to share a little bit about that. Absolutely. This this took me like three years to write. This is it's called Australia's Home Buying Guide. Uh, you can find it in, in Dimmicks um, or it's at all the bookstores, but I think we're doing a bit of a, a giveaway. I'm, I'm happy for, for the first or however you want to run it, Kate, this is your show. But yeah, five listeners, if you guys want to, I'm happy to give five free books away before Christmas. That'd be cool. Yeah, absolutely. I'll post something when this episode goes live. So when you're listening to this, there'll be something on Instagram. So um, get in there and then hopefully you can get a copy of Todd's book. Otherwise, find it on all of the booksellers as well. But just very quickly on it, I, I I grew up a dyslexic kid in the public school system. I, I struggled big time. So the selfish part of me just wanted to actually prove that I could write a book. But the other side of it wanted to actually produce something that was easy to understand and not intimidating. No part of this is jargon. This is all about making something that is otherwise intimidating, nice and, and easy to, to follow. And it's really step-by-step based. So yeah, I... I I really think it's going to help a lot of people as far as just understanding how the process works. Wonderful. Well, I'll post some details about that on Instagram when you're listening to this episode. So go and check that out. And that will also have details that if you don't win the giveaway, you can also get your hands yourself on a copy. And Todd, if people want to learn a bit more about you and your services, where should they head? Um, go to pizzaandproperty.com. That's uh, where we run the, I like the podcast. That. That's so good. I... I yeah, it all started as a bit of a joke, but a pizza is just literally my favorite thing right next to property. And that's how it actually got born. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good combo. Yeah, it's the best. But yeah, we, we've got a whole lot of uh, content on there from people that are just amazing in their niche in property. So if, if you want to learn a little bit more about the property investment side now, given this isn't for first-time buyers, so this is a lot more geared towards how do I get into number two, three, four, five, that kind of thing. But still, a lot of the tips and tricks around the even getting into number two are still very applicable for number one. Absolutely. And it's always good comes from immersing yourself into the language and getting to understand the terminology and what people are thinking about, even if it's a few steps ahead of where you are on your journey right now. Definitely. Yeah, you throw in a, a few industry terms, even if you don't quite understand them. And then agents will be like, oh, okay, this person knows what they're talking about. Right. These, these they're level sophisticated tricks are Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Todd, thank you so much for coming on today. And I hope our listeners got plenty out of this episode and um, have a read of your book if they're interested. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kate. Thanks a lot for having me on. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the How To Money podcast. 
If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at howtomoneyaus, and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money Podcast.